Ion 2020, episode 315. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Hey guys, Ray Eaton here, your host of Ion 2020. Appreciate me joining me for another day looking at the 2020 election, looking at our crazy world we're living in in 2020. That is basically what I do here on Monday and on Thursday whenever I produce a show. And this is a libertarian look at the 2020 election. So what that means is I'm a libertarian. You guys know that if you've been listening for a while, if you're a first-time listener, that's what you've gotten yourself into today is a libertarian show, so I appreciate you uh, listening in. If you like the show, go ahead and subscribe, okay? So today we're going to talk a little bit about an off-the-cuff comment that Trump made that a lot of his supporters somehow, some reason, are defending, and I think it's kind of odd um, that they would do that. But you know what? I, I, it's not odd because the libertarians know this, and uh, I guess Democrats kind of know this as well. Uh, Republicans seem like they defend him on every single stupid thing that he says, no matter what, um, whatever he says, they just kind of, and not, not every Republican, but a lot of them do. A lot of the serious Trump supporters believe he's beyond criticism, but he's not. So I'll talk about that as well as the big democratic convention that's going on right now. If you fell asleep during it, I understand, but I, uh, I kept enough of an eye on some of the stuff that's been going on the last couple of days that I can speak sort of uh, intelligently about it. So I'll talk a little bit about that as well. And then the next thing I will talk about is the coronavirus and just where are we at. So let's go ahead and start first by talking about the, uh, the stupid comment that Donald Trump made. And if you're a Trump supporter, that's fine. Um... You know, I, I don't criticize anybody for supporting anybody. I'm a libertarian. I mean, I'm, I'm supporting the person that's never going to get elected. So uh, that just shows how smart I am, right? But I just believe in voting for voting for somebody based upon some principles that I have rather than just voting for an R or a D. And that's typically why I'll vote uh, vote for a libertarian. And, it's you know, I just want to speak out and raise my voice the best that I can with the one little teeny tiny vote that I have. And that is to stick my finger in the eye of the two-party system. That's typically why I vote. And that's why I'll be voting for uh, Joe Jorgensen. But, um, yeah, you're going to vote for Donald Trump. I'm not criticizing you, but the guy is not above criticizing. The guy is not above criticism. Just like for Democrats, if you're just somebody that loves Joe Biden or loves Barack Obama, they're not above criticism either. So stop defending your politician Every single time. If you want an R in the office, then that's fine. Vote for your R. But you don't have to defend them to the dying breath for stupid comments they make. And this is the stupid comment that Donald Trump made. He basically says that since he made the tweet and it was like, you know, since supposedly there's been an argument that Goodyear is not allowing people to wear MAGA hats at their factories. So Donald Trump says, go buy some tires from another company. There's our cheap and or too expensive and it's been a long time coming and that they need people just need to stop buying Goodyear tires 
I mean, what's the implication of that? What's going to happen in a situation like that? That is a stupid comment to make. Like, a business is not a political entity, right? Now, if they said that they're not going to allow people to wear political hats or political t-shirts, that's their business. They could do what they want to, right? They could say, that's not part of your uniform. I'm sorry. Um, uh, supposedly maybe people were offended by the MAGA hat that people are wearing, whatever, that's their business, but it doesn't need to become a national thing. Maybe it makes some news story or whatever. That's fine. Maybe some Trump supporters might get upset about that, but I doubt that people are sitting there wearing their, um, their Joe Biden hats. And if they are, then I'm sure it went equally across the board, which I've heard that is the case that has gone equally across the board. They're not allowing people to wear political clothing at their, you know, in their factories or in their, on their, while people are at work. But Donald Trump says this. And when Donald Trump says something, people listen, right? Like businesses go up and go down just by Donald Trump saying the name of the company. If he said, yeah, so I was using my iPhone today and, and, you know, I love Apple products. Boom. Somehow, Apple stock shoots up that day. It's just the way it is. And if he says, I don't like Nikes, people stop buying Nikes. That's the way it is. Businesses are affected by Donald Trump saying something. And he wants to stick his, he wants to stick his nose into the politics of a tire company, of all things. And this is, by the way, an American company. Most of their manufacturing happens in America. Like, we have tire plants all over South Carolina. I think we have two or three different tire plants for Goodyear around South Carolina. And then we have other companies that have come in and started making tires here as well. Because there's high tariffs on foreign tires. We even had a Chinese company come to South Carolina and build a tire factory here in South Carolina so they can get past the tariffs of importing Chinese tires. I think it was actually a South Korean company, excuse excuse me, but we've had multiple companies come in in South Carolina, so there's Goodyear tire companies in South Carolina. Stock goes down. People start listening to Donald Trump and not buying Goodyear tires. What does that affect? That affects the supply or the demand for tires, so there's going to be less need to produce more tires. That means less workers at that factory. Maybe they close down a factory or two over the course of a year or two or three. Maybe it doesn't go anywhere. Most likely it wouldn't go anywhere. Most likely people are going to forget about Goodyear tires next week anyway in this statement. But just imagine the implication if he decided to go on a whim and start terrorizing Goodyear tires. You have factories in these cities in these towns that are one job, one factory towns pretty much that are dependent upon these tires. So those people work less. They have less money to spend. They have less money to spend in their communities. They have less money to save. They have less money to rent or purchase homes. It affects those economies. It affects the supply down the chain. So all the suppliers of that factory they're going to have less business, so it's going to affect people there as well. This is an American company, American jobs.
Yet you want to sit there and beat up on them because they're making a statement that they're not going to allow people to wear political clothing or hats at their on their premises. Think about the down chain, you know, the suppliers and all that stuff. Like there's a lot of people that are dependent upon these jobs. So it's just a stupid it's just a stupid statement to make. I'm calling it what it is. It's a dumb statement to make. It's beating up an American company. If you're the president, why are you going to beat up an American company? There's plenty of other places for people to buy tires. There's cheaper tires out there. Do you want everyone buying non-Goodyear tires, Michelin's made in America's? Well, it's fine. Those are pretty expensive also. But there's Chinese tires out there. You want them to just go buy those? The Japanese tires, the Korean tires? I mean, it's just, it's, it's a dumb statement, and it just... I'm sitting there reading some different comments and stuff on the news articles. And people just defend the statement. Oh, yeah, well, you know, Goodyear tires suck anyway, so I guess I'll never buy those again. Because Donald Trump said it, you're never going to buy a Goodyear tire again? It just makes no sense, that's all. To me, it just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to make that statement. But that's what he did, and... uh, People are going to defend it. I'll probably take some backlash for even starting my show like this. But if anybody else said that statement, anybody else said that, they would just look at them like, yeah, that's just dumb. You know? That's that's just the way. People, but since it's Donald Trump, somehow the 32% of people that just love the guy that defend him to the dying day will sit there and, and defend him. And I'm sure it's not the 32%. There's probably like, five or ten percent of Trump's words, or maybe even it's just one percent of Trump's words that are very vocal every time he says something that they just become very vocal about, you know, defending him on those things. And if you watch Fox News, they're gonna defend anything that he says. And if you but if you watch CNN, they're gonna just gonna try to um destroy anything the guy says. So I mean it's just the political polarization is there. And I always kind of get back to this when it comes to politics, is that that is what they want, guys. They want the division. These politicians, they want to divide the people because it helps them to get you entrenched in your political view so that you defend them at all costs on both sides. And then you're going to get out there and vote in November. That's all they care about. Fear gets people to vote. Division gets people to vote. You're terrified that Joe Biden becomes president because you're going to have a socialist country. That's what they said about about Barack Obama as well. You can't have another four years of Barack Obama, they were saying in 2012. Just think about how bad things are going to be. And then the Democrats on their side, just think about it. We cannot have another four years of Donald Trump. The world's going to end. They want that division. That's all they care about is getting you to be divided. And the, and the press goes right along with it. And in this situation... You get the same old, same old. More and more division. People entrenching their views. Can't even criticize the guy for a stupid comment. Just rise out of that trench for a minute. And think about that comment. It's just a dumb comment. That's all it is. Okay, we gotta move on from that subject there. And let's talk about coronavirus. Let's talk about New York City, for example. I was reading a New York Times article earlier today. And it was just talking about on Tuesday they released the 
findings of a antibody test study that was being done. And in the antibody test study that they did, they found that around 32, maybe 33% of the population already had the antibody for COVID-19. And the population of New York City is like 8.3, maybe 8.4 million. So around 3 million people in New York City have already had COVID-19. And that gets into a few different statistics and stuff like that. And it, it kind of enlightens the statistics a little bit better when you start to know exactly how many people got it. Because in New York City, 235,000 confirmed cases happened. So that was 10 times more cases in New York City than what was confirmed of people that got tested. So you could assume that, you know, 90% of the people that got it never went and got tested. Never, or you know, they, they might have never had symptoms or they may have just had a little bit of a cold or something like that. So you have two over, over 90% of the people that got it never went and got tested. So you have 235,000 confirmed cases, but probably around 3 million actual cases in New York City when you extrapolate it all the way out with 23,000 deaths. So a little less than 1%, like I think it's 0.8% of people that would get it would die from it. And most of those people, like 90% of those were over 65 years old in New York City. So, I mean, those numbers, guys... I mean, what does that mean for the entire United States as well? Can you extrapolate that out to the entire United States? It's probably hard to tell if you can right now because different cities are in different areas of the country are in different, um, are seeing the, the cases rise at different times. For example, in the South, we started to see cases rise over the last couple of months. New York, it started in February and started creeping up into March and into April, and then I started to see it go down in April and then into May. By now, you're starting to see a lot less cases every single day. Um, since, yeah, since about May 10th or so, you started to see way less cases in New York and then, you know, very few cases now. I think it said that there was six cases in New York City yesterday or something like that. Maybe it was six deaths, I'm not sure. But that's just, it's it's just very, yeah, it was six deaths, sorry. But it's just, they've seen their peak, and they've gone down. So was their herd immunity built at that point? New York City has kind of lightened up a little bit on on the lockdowns that they've had. So I'd love to get into the exact figures and figure out when they locked down and when they released the lockdown and so forth and kind of figure out exactly what happens from there. But those numbers are interesting that when you have almost 3 million people probably that have already had the disease, had, have had COVID-19, it just shows exactly where the numbers are at across the entire world, across the United States specifically. <clears throat> if you could say we've had 5 million cases, we've probably had 50 million cases in America with a 1% death or a little less than 1% death rate. Now that's high. That is high. I think with the flu on an, any given year, you're going to have a 0.1% death rate, maybe 0.2 or 3% on a bad year. And we don't know exactly what the number is going to turn out to be in the United States. Those, will, those estimates will come out at some point as well. But on average, I think we have about 50 million flu cases every single year. 
And that's with people getting the flu shot and stuff like that. So you might see 60, 70 million, 80 million flu flu cases if there was no flu shots because you do get a little bit of herd, herd immunity going from the flu shots. Now, not everyone gets flu shots. I would say let's assume that about 50% of kids at schools get flu shots. Lots of retirees, but most older people don't go out and or most you know middle-aged people don't go out there and get their flu shot. So I think there's probably quite a bit of herd immunity at this point with COVID. I've been looking those things up, and they have said that with New York, the way that it, the with as few cases that they're having right now, when you have thirty percent of people that have it had it, or over thirty percent of people have had had it, have had COVID nineteen. They must be seeing some herd immunity at this point. I mean, just imagine if you come into ten contact with ten people every single day, and four of them have three or four of them already had the disease. Then you have three, or, you know, thirty or forty percent less chance of coming into contact with somebody that has had it, or that has it at that time. Because most likely, those people that have had the have had COVID nineteen are not going to be able to pass it on to you because they're not going to get it again i mean the science is coming out now guys the science is coming out now something i heard on cnn today when i was listening to it this morning and it just blew my mind because they were talking about the vac- the vaccination right and they can't there's some studies that have been done and some or some polling that's been done and it's saying that 56% of people said they will get the vac- vaccination when it comes out, and like 40% of people said that they won't. And they said, that's a really high number, that's terrible. Uh, these people, you know, are being led astray. So CNN's assuming that 100% of people should get, the, get vaccinated against COVID-19, even though that's just stupid to even think about. Like, are we really going to line people up and force them to get vaccinations? Like they don't do it for flu. They kind of force it onto people for other things. But what I was talking about is for schools, they're going to try to, I've heard that they're going to try to make it so that you have to have a vaccination in order to send your kid back to school. But kids are not affected by COVID-19 the way that adults are. I think that's insanity that you're going to vaccinate all the kids because of that. It's not like they're going to drop dead and die. Now, on the other hand, you might have a grandparent at home so get the grandparent vaccinated against it then. That would be the that would be the cases that I would assume that you would try to get all the vaccinated the people that are the highest risk get them the vaccination and that's it. And maybe other people voluntarily if they want to, but what CNN was saying is that 56% of people said they'd be open to take the vaccination and then 40% of people said they would not and they had a problem with that on the show. And they had the audacity to say that these people don't believe in science and that they don't believe or and then they uh, what the way that they put it was as if to say that the vaccination is going to be sa- completely safe these people need to know that the vaccination is going to be completely safe is the way that they put it and i thought to myself there's no way that the science would ever say that a vaccination is completely safe. No vaccination is completely safe. The risks outweigh the reward, or the, the reward outweighs the risks, though. 
like you go and you get your kids vac- vaccinated, like most likely they're not going to have any negative outcomes. But there are the 0.01% that might. Like I don't know what the exact numbers are. But when a vaccination is rushed to market the way that this has been done, like I remember back in March, they were saying that it might be 18 months to two years before they have a vaccination vaccination because that's just the normal time frame to produce a safe vaccination. 18 months to two years, sometimes even longer than that. That's what they were saying, like, if February or March, and then a few companies started working on them in January and February. But the big money is in this, guys. There's, like, billions of dollars at stake for the first person to come up with a vaccination, the first company to do it. So in that sense, these people are on a race to make it happen. They're trying to get that money. And I don't know. I mean, my feeling is I just don't know that I'm going to personally trust it for me or for my kids or for my wife at that point when it first comes out. You're rushing something to market. I mean, there's three things that have, like whenever you're having a home built, this is what I say to you. I could do it fast, I could do it right, or I could do it cheap. You could choose two, you can't choose three. So if you want it done fast, then it's going to be cheap. And it might not be done right. If you want it done fast and you want it done cheap, then it might not be done right, is the way that they would put it. So you want this thing done fast, might not be done right and it might not be done cheap or it might be done cheap you know like those are things that you have to take into account with anything i mean if you're gonna rush this thing to market that that's that that just kind of freaks me out just a little bit that's all and then they're gonna try to rush it to market and and i don't know if they'll force people to have the vaccination who knows but with kids they can definitely do that by requiring it to go back to school and i don't know that i feel comfortable with that I really don't, especially when this thing first comes out untested. Because I have heard horror stories before as well. But, you know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Like I said, both my, both my kids are vaccinated against, you know, all the normal st- all the normal childhood disease and all the things that, you know, the normal schedule. I've gone with the normal schedule. Nothing's wrong with my kids. They are just fine. Very intelligent kids. So I'm not too worried about that. But when something's rushed to market, that generally makes me worry. Um... So anyway, let's get off of that subject. But the the main sub the main point of that conversation actually was just to say that there are a lot more people than what you know who have had COVID nineteen. Upwards of thirty percent of people, maybe even more than that, in New York City it was you know thirty percent on average, and Manhattan I think it was nineteen percent, and in one of the boroughs and one of the zip codes specifically, it was like fifty eight percent of people that already had it that were tested. So that's, that's absolutely insane. And, um, you know, like the way that they've been selling it on TV every single day is that this thing will never reach herd immunity. And they're not even talking about that. They're just, it's a crisis situation constantly to terrify you and scare the crap out of you. And that's it. And then that gets me onto the, um, the politics of it. And those politicians just love the 
love what's going on right now because they are creating dependence on them. They are making people think that they are the only ones that can solve these problems and all that stuff, which drives me absolutely crazy. Moving on to the Democratic National Convention. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, is it a snooze fest, guys. Absolutely a snooze fest when you watch it. 20, 25 million people tuned into the first night of the Democratic debate. In 20, or not the debate, sorry, in the Democratic convention in 2016, it's down to 18 million people that tuned into it last or on Monday night, which actually blows my mind that you actually had 18 million people watch it. But I guess people tune in because there are about, you know, let's say there's 18 million Democrats in the United States that are like hardcore Democrats, and they're obviously going to tune in. Um, so 18 million people tuned into it. Um, the first night, I'm not sure what the second or third nights were yet, but I've heard that they kind of go down again over the course of the next week until the headlining night. And then they'll go up to like, you know, the, the highest number of the, of that convention. So we'll see what it goes to. I'll talk to you guys about those on Monday as well, but it was an absolute snooze fest. I could tell you that listening to these people talk, this is the only feeling that I got is that. I feel like every single person that was talking on that stage, and it wasn't even a stage, it was people talking to their computer screens because there was no stage, right? But every single person that was talking, the feeling that I got is that they are just kind of lecturing you. Lecturing you. Lecturing you about a few things first. First thing they're lecturing you about is not voting in 2016, being complacent and not voting in 2020. And you need to get out there and vote because we cannot have another four years of Donald Trump. Democrats believe that. A lot of independents believe that. So that was the first thing that they were lecturing you about. But it seemed like that's how it felt like to me is like just a bunch of people getting up there and talking about that. That you need to get out there and vote it's your fault that you didn't vote in 2016 for Hillary Clinton. Right? <laughs> like, that was it. And then the other thing is that they are going to lecture you and tell you just how good Joe, he's a good man. He has integrity. He's somebody that's just a good all-around guy, and that's why you should vote for him. That's it. That's the argument that they're trying to make is that we can't have another four years of Donald Trump and that Joe Biden is a good guy. He has empathy. He understands the pain that you feel in Trump's America and that he'll rise you out of it. That's it. That he has the answers to help you to rise out of it or something. When it seems to me that there, so it seems to me in that situation, you're kind of talking down to the Trump voter or any independent, independent voter that voted for him back then. You're talking down to them. You're telling them how bad of a decision they made in 2016, which I don't know that's a way to win, win voters. And then you're making an argument that just says, hey, he's a nice guy, so vote for him. Oh, yeah, Joe, he's a nice guy. You got to vote for him. Like, that is it. 
And then the biggest idiotic com- or the, not idiotic, yeah, idiotic comment that drives me crazy is this. Michelle Obama, first night, she speaks. And she says, you need to vote like your life depends upon it. That statement right there, by any politician, drives me absolutely crazy. Because that means that they are implying that politics is everything to you. And your, your life literally depends upon you voting for our guy. Like, if you don't vote for our guy, you're going to die. Like, Donald Trump is going to kill you. Your life depends upon it. And that all that means to me is that government is way too big. When somebody is willing to say that. If, if Donald Trump says, vote, like, vote for me like your life depends upon it. That means he's saying that I want you dependent upon me for your life. Or Joe Biden, vote for me like your life depends upon it. I want to make sure that you know that you should depend upon me. That this government is so big that it's so important that you vote for us because you'll die otherwise. Like it's just, it's this... It's a smug comment that says that government should be all-encompassing in your life. You know what I want? I want, a, I want to vote for somebody who wants the government to be so small. That doesn't matter who I vote for because that person has so little power over me that it doesn't matter. That's what I want. I want the government to do so little... That if I vote for Trump or Joe Biden, not that big of a deal. Because they don't have that much power. They have very little executive power. They have so many limits on them that it's hard to get anything done. And the government has so many limits on it. That no matter who's in charge of Congress, it doesn't really matter. Because the government is so small that there's no need for lobbyists. Very few lobbyists. Washington is so irrelevant in our lives that it's not on the daily news 24-7 on four news channels, five, six, seven news channels, something like that, that dedicate their entire news coverage to Washington, D.C.? Just think about that. Watch MSNBC, CNN, or Fox News specifically Every single day, 98% of their coverage is Washington, D.C. I want so little happening in Washington, D.C. that those companies go out of business. Because there's nothing to talk about. Because there's no division that they can talk about. Because the government does so few things. That's, That's it. I don't want a government that I have to vote for your guy or else I'm going to die. Like, my life depends upon it. That is the smuggest, terrible comment I've ever heard. And it just, it doesn't anger me, but it just makes me resent the politicians. Because they have gotten us to this point. Them. 
They have sold this country out to get the vote is what it comes down to. All they care about is getting reelected, having their guy in charge, having their party in charge. It doesn't care who it is as long as it's a D behind his name or an R behind his name. And that's it. We don't care. Let's limit the government, guys. Let's focus in on that. And that's it. I mean, there's little, very little I can do from behind, you know, my microphone per se. But if we could change the culture of the what people expect from their government. I mean, the city and the state governments are so much closer to the people that that's where we should be focusing on getting problems solved and things done. It doesn't matter about these people in Washington. All they care about is what the polls say so that they can figure out if it'll be good for them to vote for something or not. Because if it's bad for them to vote for it, then for their constituency then they sure as hell ain't going to vote for it no matter what. And they're only going to do what the party leaders tell them to do anyway, so it doesn't matter, because all they care about is getting elected. But the government does too much. So much so that someone could actually say, vote for like your life depends upon it. And that's just, that's just not okay. So anyway, guys, I appreciate you joining me for another look at the 2020 election. Uh, go ahead, if you can, uh, go to your Apple the, the Apple uh, uh, podcast account that you have, or just go to Apple Podcasts, that app that you have, and give me a five-star rating and review. You type in ION2020, and then it'll come up, and then you can just go ahead and scroll on down. Give me that five-star rating and review. That's very helpful. Uh, also, if you'd like to, you can follow me on Facebook and on Twitter by going to IonTheEmpire. Just type in at IonTheEmpire. You'll find me there. You can also go IonTheEmpire.com. And then the best thing you could do, though, is to come back on Monday... So you have a clear vision for 2020.